Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin at verse 8 today. We're finishing up a two-part study called God's Saving Grace. Let's open in prayer. God, we humbly bow. We come like children, longing to understand and know. We want to please you. We want to honor you. Because, Lord, we recognize that you loved us first, and we only love you because you loved us. And we want to follow you. And we want to walk with you. And we want to be in your will. And all God's people said, Amen. God's Saving Grace, Part 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10 in chapter 2. Notice what it says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift to God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God's saving grace. See it there in verse 8? For by grace you have been saved through faith. See, Paul tells us that the salvation that has been given to us comes by grace. That word, grace, refers to the the essential part of God's character. Grace is closely related to God's benevolence, love, and mercy. Grace can be variously defined as God's favor toward the unworthy, God's benevolence in the undeserving, or simply God giving himself. See, that's what happens when you receive God's grace. You receive receive God and he comes into your life. See, in his grace, God is willing to forgive us our sins and bless us abundantly in spite of the fact that we don't deserve to be treated so well and dealt with in mercy. To completely understand this grace, we need to consider who we were apart from Christ and who we become with Christ. First, we were born in sin. Psalm 51 states that. Look on the screen. We were guilty of breaking God's holy laws. We were enemies of God, deserving of death. We were in unrighteous, We were without the means to justify ourselves. We were spiritually destitute, blind, unclean, dead. We were like lepers, spiritual lepers. And we were in danger of everlasting punishment. But those two words again, but God. God extended his grace or favor to us. See, grace is what saves us. 
Grace is the essence of the gospel. Grace gives us victory over sin. Grace gives us eternal encouragement and good hope. And you know, Christ himself is the embodiment of grace. Look with me, John, chapter 1, verse 14 on the screen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the grace of God means that God has reached out to those who literally deserve nothing from him but judgment and condemnation. The grace of God means that God turns his favor toward those who deserve wrath. The grace of God means he reaches down to those who cannot reach up to him. It also means that God goes to those who will not come to him. Lost sinners who are dead, radically depraved, totally and utterly doomed in their sins. But God, in his grace, reaches out to save them by his amazing and abundant grace. The Bible's filled with example after example of God's amazing grace. But there's two examples I want to share with you today. The first one, Mephibosheth from 2 Samuel chapter 9. See, this man was lost and doomed. His family. Mephibosheth was crippled and poor and worthless. And David owed him nothing. David would have been right in again in executing him. Yet David reached out to Mephibosheth. He sent his servants to him, took him out of his old home, and brought him into a new place. David adopted Mephibosheth as his own son and set him before the king's table. He was still a cripple, but he belonged at David's table. And grace changed his life. Well, we too were lost and doomed, crippled and poor and worthless. God didn't owe us anything. We were, we were to be judged. But God reached out to us. He took us out of our old home, in a sense, and brought us into his place. We also, too, were adopted and placed in the body of Christ. And our, again, hearts, our spirit, cries out, Abba, Father. And we, too, will eat his table, the Lamb's Feast. And it's that grace that changes you and me day in and day out as we keep our eyes locked upon the author and finisher of our faith. Well, there's a second one I want to point your attention to. That's Saul of Tarsus. That's in Acts chapter 9. See, Saul was a a religious man. 
He had a form of godliness, but he denied the power thereof. He didn't know God, but he thought God. He was sincere in thinking that everything he did was for God, but he was going against the goats, as the scripture will say. See, he was morally righteous in one sense, at least in his self-righteousness, but his righteousness was based upon good works, not what God requires. See, in God's eyes, Saul was dirty. He was a filthy sinner. He was a man who hated the name of Jesus and, in fact, persecuted the church. He deserved nothing but judgment and hell. Yet the Lord loved him, reached out to him, and grace changed him. A lot of people tell me, oh, I'm spiritual. I'm religious. They trust in the fact that they haven't murdered somebody. They haven't done this or that. But they, just as you and I were, were dirty, filthy sinners. And we too, at one point, really despised Jesus' name. Oh, maybe not despised him in our heart in one way, but we did not obey his word. We did not walk in his ways. Our actions showed he was not the Lord of our life. We deserve punishment and judgment too. But the Lord reached out to you. His Holy Spirit convicted you in sin. There were people that he brought into your life to reach out to you and tell you and reveal who Jesus Christ was. And when you saw their lives, it was different. You recognized there must be a God. And when you too trusted in him, that grace changed your life forever. See, every person in this world who has truly been saved knows the wonder of God's amazing, awesome grace. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it's written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together and have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. We know we deserve hell. We know that if God judged us, he would be right. We deserve hell. But too, for the believer, we know that God's grace is amazing. We can't explain it. But we know that he snatched us out of the mire and he set us on the rock. I like what Augustine said. He put it this way. I know what grace is until you ask me and that I don't know. The soul understands what the mouth cannot put into words. What we can say is, is God 
takes the lost, the dead, the deceived, the depraved, the, the doomed sinner, and he saves them by grace and grace alone. So God saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus. Not based upon our efforts. There's a story told of a man who came eagerly, but very late to a revival meeting and found that the workmen were tearing down the tent in which the meeting had been held. Frantic and missing this evangelist, he decided to ask one of the workers what he could do to be saved. And the worker who was a Christian replied, you can't do anything. It's too late. Horrified, the the man said, what do you mean? How can it be too late? The work has already been accomplished. There's nothing you need to do but believe. In John chapter 6, Jesus was asked the question, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believing is putting your faith in him. It's adhering to him. It's being found in him. It's trusting him unconditionally for your salvation and for your future. Well, that's why God's grace is so amazing that when we just believe, look at verse 8 again, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Then we're told that neither grace nor faith came from within us. See, the grace that sought us, the faith that saved us, it's all a gift. It's God's gift to you and me, the sinner who was helpless, who could not save himself. The sinner's dead, we saw in verse 1. He lacked that ability to believe. He is deceived by his sins, verse 2 said, and he lacked the desire to believe. Verse 3 showed us that he is depraved. He lacks the will to be saved. And finally, in verse 3, we saw he has already been condemned and judged in a sense. Sometimes I, I don't understand why people get angry at an unbeliever. See, they're blinded by the God of this world. They want to condemn them. They're already in condemnation. What they need to know is they're hopeless doomed, but God in his mercy and grace died for you and me on the cross. And for by grace, a person is saved through faith is not of themselves. It is a gift of God. It's as if the table is already spread and, and he's saying, come, come, receive from me. In that lost condition, a sinner cannot decide to come to God. Why we don't understand completely, the scripture makes it clear in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in that last day. 
What we do know is the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of its sin. See, that's how he's drawn, convicting him of sin and revealing there is a God, there is a Lord, there is a Savior. So he comes to the sinner, he draws them to himself, he shows them the reality of their own condition, then he allows them to see the truth of the cross and the empty tomb. He gives them the faith to believe the gospel. The sinner has a choice to believe or not believe. For the one who does, salvation takes place. What we call regeneration, a person's regenerated. This act of faith is ours to make, but the faith to act on came from God. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to me but through me. John Newton, so affected by the grace of God that he wrote a song called Amazing Grace. Let me read these words, and they're so pregnant with meaning. It begins, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. This saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now found. I was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieve. How precious did the grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. The grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will be my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail, the mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon so dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright and shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Such powerful words. Grace is so sweet. It's probably sweet I didn't sing. I don't sing in tune. But the words... They're rich. They tell of God's grace, tell of God's love for every single person in this world. Because when he died upon the cross, he died for the world. See, the way of salvation is a struggle to many. Let me give you an example. Years ago, 
One of the leading manufacturing companies developed a new cake mix that required only water to be added. The tests were run, surveys were made, the cake mix was found to be superior in quality to all the other mixes available. It tasted good, it was easy to use, it made a moist, tender cake. The company spent large sums of money on advertising campaign and they released the cake mix to the general market, but only a few people bought this new cake mix. The company then spent more money on surveys to find out why the cake didn't sell. Interestingly, based upon the results of this survey, the company recalled the cake mix, reworked the formula, released the revised cake mix, and the new cake mix required that you add not only water, but one egg. It sold like hot cakes. It's now the leading product in the field. You see, the first cake mix was too simple to be believable. People just wouldn't accept it. Isn't that true? For salvation by grace, it's just too easy for most. Look at verse 8. That second part, it says, that not by yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. That word boast means to glory in a thing. Paul's telling us that if a man were able to earn his own salvation, he'd be able to take credit for it. We can be guaranteed of our salvation by being sincere, by working harder, by really trying to please God through our own goodness. Fact is, the reality is, no matter how hard you and I ever work, we'll never be able to save ourselves. If salvation does not result from being religious, being a good person, doing good things, where does salvation come from? Paul says there in verse 8, through faith. So the question is, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 makes it clear. Now, faith is being sure of what is hoped for, certain what we do not see. Saving faith is simply coming to the place where one believer with absolute conviction that everything in the Bible says about Jesus is true. Salvation is not the result of doing anything. It's a result of the lost sinner simply taking God at his word. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you know you're a sinner right now, separated from God, headed to hell, if you simply confess with your mouth, as the scripture says, and believe in your heart, in him, that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Notice that word saved, it's past tense. If you confess it now, believe in your heart now, it's done. You're headed to heaven. You don't need to come before a church. You just need to confess 
with your mouth, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, and you're saved. Look at Acts 16.31 on the screen. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you and your whole household. Believe in the Lord Jesus Look to Jesus Christ. Call out to him. Trust him. Because he's died for you and me. The Bible's crystal clear on this matter. The way of salvation is simply taking God as word and believing the gospel. But oftentimes, people don't know what the gospel is. There's many places, John 3.16, but you know, there's another great verse, two verses actually I'd like to share with. It's in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 3 and 4. Notice what it says. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. When we believe and trust in that and that Jesus is our Savior, we are saved. Some people, though, object They say, I can't see Jesus. They think they can't have faith in something that they do not see and do not know to be absolutely true. The truth is, every day of our lives, we do act in many ways, do acts of faith. When we eat our food, having faith, it's not contaminated that it hadn't been sprayed with poisons that would kill us. The water we drink, we believe it's safe. The medicine we take from the doctors who have prescribed, well, by faith, we, we take it, feeling the side effects will not affect us. There won't be anything that will uh, cause us to die. We put our money in the bank, trusting by faith that their promise is to keep it and give it back when we ask. See, salvation comes when a lost sinner simply takes God at his word and believes what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. God says he was born of a virgin. He is the sinless son of God. He died on a cross to pay for the sinner's sin. He rose again from the grave. He ascended back to heaven. He's coming again for his people. And God says that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be eternally saved. And it's not of works. It's what saves the soul. Look with me in verse 10. The work of God's grace in salvation. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Notice, even though it is not possible to earn salvation, this verse reminds us that work indeed is involved in that total process. That is God's work. These works are prepared before the foundation of the world. Paul begins this verse by saying, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That is God's work in us, first of all. 
the words in the Bible are very important. I, I believe that God's word, every word, is the inspired word of God. In fact, that's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training of righteousness. That means when the the authors, that is the human authors, were writing out the scripture, God inspired in their mind, led them to write the individual words that they were writing. Now that word workmanship means that which is made a work. And by the way, that means that you and I, if we're his workmanship, we are a work of art. It is from the word polema, which means workmanship. We we get poem from that, a piece of literary workmanship. It refers to a piece of literary workmanship. That's us. Paul's saying that the redeemed saints of God are really his masterpieces. We're not just a work but his work, a masterpiece. I like what Kent Hughes wrote in giving the illustration. Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he chipped away at a shapeless rock. And he replied, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. And, and that's what God is doing with us. Oh, not that we're angels, but he's liberating us. We are in his hands, the great maker, the ultimate sculpture who created the universe out of nothing. He's never yet thrown away a rock of which he has begun the masterwork. By grace alone, through faith alone, to God alone, be the glory. Lord, thank you for your sweet love that you set upon us, that you revealed your grace to each of us, that we have that hope and assurance. God, help us to be gracious people to others to be your ambassador, to take your word to those that do not know. Lord, thank you again for meeting with us today and each day, that wherever we go, you'll never leave us or forsake us, but you'll guide us, you'll direct us in our steps in this world. But one day, you will come. You'll take us to be with you. And we say, Lord Jesus, Come now, Maranatha. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.